0: Radio. Education and the Culture of Freedom. A talk by Dr. Kevin Donnelly at the Christopher Dawson Centre for Cultural Studies 2017 Colloquium. Well, thank you very much for the invitation today. And it's often said the worst time to be a speaker is during dinner, or just before or just, before or just after dinner. <laughs> that will hap- we'll see who that is shortly. But I think the, the second most difficult time is just before drinks, <laughs> after a long day, and many of us are, have travelled from interstate and wherever, but, uh, and overseas. But no, thank you for the invitation. Uh, I'll, I'll begin just very quickly. I taught for 18 years, and my background is school education, and I don't consider myself to be an academic or a scholar. And so it's quite a privilege to be here among so many illustrious uh, academics who I'm sure have published in reputable journals and uh, uh, are respected for their areas of work. But for my sins as, a, as an educator, a teacher, I was asked to review the national curriculum in 2014 by the then Minister for Education, Christopher Pyne, uh, during the Abbott government. And one of the things that happened then, and it took over a year, and we travelled around Australia and had hundreds and hundreds of submissions, what I wanted to do in the first chapter of of the final report was to actually address the question, the purpose of education, because it troubled me uh, as a teacher that for many years, my own experience in Victoria was that from on high whether state or federal, education ministers or bureaucracies, classroom teachers were being made to jump to the latest educational fad or bureaucratic grand plan. Uh, The most famous one in Victoria was Reading Recovery that uh, was supposed to address the question of uh, the best way to teach literacy in the early years. I think in the end... It was launched and relaunched by about five education ministers in Victoria because uh, it was something that they thought politically they would get traction with. But anyway, what I'd like to begin with is just a summary of five approaches to education if you ask what is the purpose, why are we here, what are we trying to achieve as teachers. The first one, develop practical skills Strength and productivity, a utilitarian view, I describe it. A second one, prepare for and deal with the future, so-called 21st century learning that is very popular at the moment. A third one, equity and social justice, critiquing society generally from a cultural left point of view, and I'll explain that in more detail later. Number four, child-centred learning, now rebadged as personalised learning. And number five, the one which I'm most committed to, and I think the reason I'm here this afternoon, number five is to introduce students to the best that's been thought and said, to uh, use Matthew Arnold's phrase. And I I describe that as enculturation, which was interesting. One of the speakers mentioned that before uh, in talking about culture. But in the final report, which I'm sure some of you have read, uh, only two of us wrote it, uh, I argued that the national curriculum, and this is something that, for those of you who don't know the history, the national curriculum was being imposed on every school in Australia, state uh, and territory, government, non-government, as a condition of funding. So because the Commonwealth government now is so much uh, involved in school education, even though it's under the Constitution, the control of the states, even though uh, the states have that power, increasingly because of uh, the financial power, the vertical fiscal imbalance, as they call it, all roads are leading to Canberra in terms of education. So the national curriculum uh, is being implemented, along with national testing, National Teacher Registration and Certification, and and the list goes on and on. But what I've argued in in the report is that number five, enculturation, has been undermined, if not ignored, in the national curriculum and in education more generally, school education, over the last uh, 30, 40 years. Just very quickly... uh, we were talking about culture before. Some of you would know Pierre Rickman, uh, who was at the ANU. He gave a 96 boy a lecture and he argued, quote, culture is the true and unique signature of man, unquote, and that, quote, culture is the very means through which we realise the fullness of our humanity Now, as as a teacher, I taught literature mainly, and to me that was a vital part of what I was attempting to do in teaching what we used to call the Western canon, literature, poetry, uh, whatever it might be. And it goes without saying that this idea of culture, you don't find it by accident, you don't find it intuitively, you don't wake up one morning and be cultured as we would like to say in Australia. An American academic, Christopher Lucas, argues, quote, from an anthropologist's point of view, education basically means enculturation. The culture of society must be internalised by each generation. And that explains to me why teaching is one of the most vital and significant and fundamentally important careers in our society, and many others because we're given the privilege to introduce children, whether primary or secondary, to initiate them into what Oakeshott described as a conversation in terms of uh, various disciplines and areas of knowledge. One of the most influential forms of inculturation I would suggest in Australia and the Anglosphere more generally is what Brian Crittenden describes as a liberal education, a systematic and sustained introduction to the public forms of meaning in which the standards of human excellence in the intellectual, moral, aesthetic domains are expressed and critically investigated, end of quote. We all know, I'm sure, Matthew Arnold, uh, his view, culture, when you, and I think also ed, by implication education, quote, deals with a pursuit of our total perfection by means of getting to know, on all matters which most concern us, the best which has been thought and said in the world. Critics tend to forget the second part of what Arnold was talking about. I'm happy to be considered a conservative uh, educationally, and people often means that you're backward-looking, you're uh, static, you don't change, you're murabound, as it were, But Arnold actually goes on to say that what the ideal should be is turning a stream of fresh and free thought upon our stock notions and habits which we now follow staunchly but mechanically. So, for me, enculturation is something that is dynamic, but it includes a number of characteristics, one of which, or some of which T.S. Eliot talks about when he mentions education... And he says, Elliot, education should stand for the preservation of learning, for the pursuit of truth, and insofar as men are capable of it, the attainment of wisdom. Now, in my 20, 30 years since I left teaching and have have done various things, written for the papers, written books, did the National Curriculum Review, attended many, many uh, conferences, When I talk to educators now, certainly uh, in Canberra, I rarely hear education talked about in those terms, about the pursuit of truth and the attainment of wisdom. But uh, overseas, it's of interest in England uh, when uh, Gove was the Secretary of Education, Michael Gove. In the curriculum that was revised, they actually quoted Arnold and this is only relatively recently, in England, they argued that the new English curriculum should deal with the best that that has been thought and said. And interestingly enough, in Victoria some years ago, the Blackburn report stressed something similar when it argued education had to introduce students, quote, to our best validated knowledge and artistic achievements. And it was interesting because Blackburn uh, was a friend of Joan Kerner, who you might know was Education uh, Minister at the time, later became Premier. In a Fabian speech, uh, and I'll mention it, Kerner actually talked about the purpose of education from a Marxist point of view. And it's interesting that Blackburn, uh, Jean Blackburn, was probably a member of the Fabian Society, an old style, I'd argue, Marxist. But there was a strong element in Marxism that learning should be difficult, and it should be hard. And if working class kids were going to overthrow the bourgeoisie and in, in become involved in the revolution, then they needed to know some Greek and Latin. And certainly, that was the argument put by Antonio Gramsci, who you might know, the Italian Marxist who was imprisoned during the war. He said, "Quote: Students should know at first hand the civilizations of Greece and Rome, civilizations that." were or are a necessary precondition of our modern civilization. So it's interesting that this idea of education as enculturation is an important one, but I'd argue it's been under attack uh, since the early, well, late rather, late 60s and early 70s. And I'll just quickly go over these. The the liberal view has been attacked by, number one, a Marxist and neo-Marxist critique of the curriculum and the relationship between schools and society. Secondly, a child-centred view of education, focusing on inquiry or process-based learning. Thirdly, a utilitarian view based on 21st-century learning and teaching generic competencies and cross-curricular priorities, now, I'm, I'm looking at this from an educated, well, a teacher's point of view, looking at the way the curriculum's evolved, school curriculum, over the last 30, 40 years. Some of us looking around the room I can see are baby boomers, and uh, it's interesting, Wordsworth, when he talked about the French Revolution, at the beginning this this is, he later changed his mind, but Wordsworth, when he described the French Revolution, argued, was was it in that dawn to be alive, but to be young was very heaven. This was obviously before Madame Guillotine and the Reign of Terror. But growing up for me, uh, and I must admit I was talking to his grace before, my father was a communist uh, in Victoria at the Newport Railway Workshop. And if you know BA Santa Maria and his history of those times, you'll know that the waterfront and the, and the railways were cells for the Communist Party. So Dad was a good Communist and uh, my mother was a good Catholic. So it was Mass on Sunday and, and Communion and Confirmation and, and Trotsky, Stalin, Lenin, Mao on Tuesday. <laughs> Interestingly enough, on Tuesday they never taught us about the, 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 the famine, the millions who died, the starvation and, and the oppression... But the 60s Cultural Revolution was a time when it was great to be alive, especially if you were university. Uh, I mean, it was a time of Woodstock moratoriums, uh, the female eunuch, Jermaine Greer, sexual revolution. Uh, and I'd argue, and other people argue as well, that the Cultural Left at that time embarked on a long march through the institutions involving a revolt against established authority, whether the church, family, state or the education system. As a result, received knowledge and wisdom were undermined and the liberal view of education within the Western tradition was deconstructed in terms of power relationships involving what I call, and Tony Abbott picked up, the new trinity, the new trinity of gender, ethnicity and class, and that related to literature, which I taught in particular. So uh, Thomas the Tank Engine was uh, oppressive and had to be taken out of the libraries because it was based on a capitalist hierarchy of the fat controller, I think it was, the, the mainline trains, the goods trains and the buses. And this was obviously reinforcing capitalist hierarchy in eight, 10-year-old children. Uh, Little Black Sambo definitely went because it was (laughs) oppressive people of colour. Uh, The Faraway Tree, which I read to my children, and I'm sure many of you did, uh, because it uh, didn't uh, properly recognise girls, didn't affirm young girls, the role of women. And I think I mentioned uh, when I gave the talk at Campion, so I'm sorry, Paul. Is Paul still here? He's popped out Good because some of what I'm talking about I talked about uh, at Campion two weeks ago. But my favourite is Shane, which is a, a short story, but a Western, was Alan Ladd, Gunslinger. And there's a lovely scene where, where the Gunslinger and the, fa- the farmer, the dad, are uh, digging out a, a root, a large tree. And uh, it's, a, it's a sort of a macho competition where they're getting their shirt off and sweating, and it's the noonday sun. And the young boy who begins to idolise the gunslinger, is entranced by this masculine sort of competitive uh, ritual. And the mother comes out halfway through with, I'm not sure what the American expression is, but lemonade, soda pop, whatever. And I was told at the time I was teaching this at a boys' school, some mothers came up and complained to the headmaster that that, uh, Dr Donnelly was teaching a, a story to their children, their boys, that reinforced masculinity and the mother was in the kitchen obviously and her role was to bring out the refreshments and it was only the two men who were working hard and why were we teaching young kids these stories that reinforced uh, male masculinity Uh, crazy time. But intellectuals, and I tried to read some of them but gave up in the end Bourdieu, Foucault, Bath, Derrida, a range of, like a rainbow alliance of theories, as I call it postmodernism, deconstruction, feminism, postcolonial, LGBTQI, and the list gets longer every month, <laughs> queer theories, which, if you know, the Safe Schools Coalition has been uh, imposed on a number of schools across Australia, and it's mandatory for government schools in Victoria as of next year. As noted by Pope Paul II in an encyclical letter, and some of it's in Latin, so I'll have to miss that part of it, but the English translation, recent times have seen the rise to prominence of various doctrines, which tend to devalue even the truths which had been judged certain. A legitimate plurality of positions has yielded to an undifferentiated pluralism, based upon the assumption that all positions are equally valid, which is one of today's most widespread symptoms of the lack of confidence in truth. Now, a liberal education, as is Christianity, Catholicism in particular, is based on the idea of of truth and wisdom and God's word. But if everything is relative, if everything is subjective, or if everything is deconstructed in terms of power relationships then we lose that. The cultural left on education and the curriculum had a vast impact. In America, Bowles and Gintas argued that the education system is simply an instrument to reproduce capitalism and that socialists must take control of schools to overthrow the status quo. Joan Kerner, I mentioned before, actually gave a talk at a Fabian Society in the early 70s where she gave... Uh, verbatim this argument uh, that schools should be used as a socialist instrument to overthrow the status quo and to overthrow capitalism. And that was one of the reasons why, if you are from Victoria, you'll know that she wanted to radically change the high school certificate, the year 12 certificate, because she argued it was competitive, overly academic, based on meritocracy. In England, at the same time, the new sociology of education argued there's nothing inherently worthwhile about academic studies. The traditional academic curriculum, quote, is a social-cultural construct, part of the ideological state apparatus employed by dominant groups to maintain control. Education became secular, celebrating diversity and difference, a new code for multiculturalism and concepts like truth and rationality uh, the argument went a relative and disguised power relationship that reinforced capitalist hegemony or hegemony and exploitation of the disadvantaged and the oppressed. I'll run through the others. Uh, so we have this cultural left Marxist, neo-Marxist theory that's impacted on the curriculum. The second one is progressive education that adopted a child-centred view. So the student becomes centre stage and learning is based on what's immediately relevant, contemporary and local. And we saw that a lot in primary schools where every year they seemed to study local community. Or if the Olympic Games was on, they studied the Olympic Games. I got into a stout with uh, my daughter's teacher at Genitano in Melbourne a good Catholic school, where in history they spent three weeks on Princess Di and the fact that she died. And I said when I met the teacher over a report, why are you studying Princess Di? She only died a month ago. And this is history that you're teaching. And she said, well, we have to make it contemporary and relevant because... It's, uh, that's one way to engage and entertain the girls and to keep their attention, which I thought was a shocking admission. But uh, what Jerome Bruner describes as teaching the structure of the discipline is secondary to the process of learning, and it's best illustrated by Summerhill, you might know the British school that A.S. Neal set up. He argued, quote, "'We had to renounce all discipline, all direction, all suggestion,' all moral training, all religious instruction, my view is that, and this is Neil, AF Neil, my view is that a child is innately wise and realistic. If left to himself without adult suggestion of any kind, he will develop as far as he is capable of developing. So it's this kind of Rousseauian idea of of the innocence of childhood, and obviously he hadn't read Lord of the Flies. (laughs) So what, that was a child-centred view. Uh, next uh, is this 21st century learning where it became very much a focus on so-called 21st century skills and competencies. When we did the National Curriculum Review, I was in Adelaide, and we were talking to the head of curriculum there, and she said, well, look, we can't teach traditional subjects or disciplines, so-called silos, they talk about silos now, so whether it's history or science or maths. We can't teach that. We have to teach generic competencies, such as collecting and analysing information, working in teams, communicating ideas, using technology. And she went on, as they do, and she explained to me that students are digital natives, knowledge navigators, and teachers, they're only facilitators and guides by the side. So what right do you have to understand that teaching involves initiating young children into the structure of the discipline, as Bruna called it, So generic skills and competencies were the fashion of the day. I said, well, what's the reason for that? She said, well, look, we don't know what the jobs are in the 21st century, so we've got no idea what these children will be doing, so we have to teach them what they can do. I said, but if you've got no idea what they're doing, if you've got no idea what the occupations or the technology will be, what are you going to teach them? And she said, while well, collecting information and working in teams and being collaborative. And then she, she nailed it when she said, and we've lost the car industry in Australia. So that was her sort of final statement. But in the review, the final report, if you ever read it, there's a lot of uh, research showing, in fact, that so-called generic competencies are best taught within the structure of particular disciplines and I think it's E.D. Hirsch in America argues that, uh, there's John Sweller, who we used uh, in our report from New South Wales, who also argues the same thing. I mean, I, I taught literature, I love poetry. The skills that you learn in, in analysing a poem and the discipline required is very different to doing an algorithm. Uh, so we argued in our report that these so-called generic skills are context-specific and so that's why they're so important that they are taught uh, in, in, in the context of the disciplines. The other thing that we did argue, the national curriculum, you might know, said that cross-curriculum priorities or perspectives, Indigenous, Asian sustainability, had to inform the curriculum and we argued against that as well. Uh, I'll finish with the case for a liberal education. I mentioned the idea of a conversation that Michael Oakshot draws on, and it's a conversation that draws on established bodies of knowledge, understanding and skills. So the reality is we don't make it up. We don't find it by accident. It obviously goes back through the history of Western Civilization, Western culture, through the Renaissance, the Reformation, the Enlightenment, back to, uh, to England, to Europe, to ancient Greece and Rome. And I, I can't quite remember the quote, but somebody might help me here. There was a philosopher who once argued that any debate in philosophy that we have at the moment or now will mirror or draw on something that Aristotle or Plato or actually had started that dialogue hundreds of years ago. There has to be a commitment to rationality, so it's not just a matter of being uh, subjective or, or uh, a matter of power relationships. It has to respect continuity in the past, and it should deal with the whole person and not just be narrow or utilitarian. And it should involve the search for truth, understanding and wisdom, And this is something I think we've lost in education, in school education, and one of the speakers mentioned this idea before. Education is inherently moral and it has to be committed to wisdom and truth. And it also deals with the common good what it is to be a citizen, and what it is to be a part of a broader community. So that whole idea of enculturation involves not just the person, the individual, but the community in which they live. And it does draw on this idea of the common good, uh, which I think is is a vital part of Christian education. It also should be education and not indoctrination. Uh, It should be impartial and balanced, The most difficulty or one of the problems we had with the national curriculum was that a lot of it was indoctrination. It only ever presented a particular one-sided view of of history, especially in terms of Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander culture. If you go through the History Curriculum uh, Foundation to Year 10, there might be over 80 references to Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander history and culture. And you can do it, obviously, search electronically. When I did a uh, search, I could only find two references to Christianity. Uh, and in the civics and citizenship curriculum, the early version actually recognised the contribution of, of Christian-based or Christian faith broadly-faced organisations, health, education, social welfare. So if you look at the social fabric of Australia, I think somebody showed me the research, over 40% of health, education, welfare are actually Christian in origin. Uh, That was in the draft of the civics curriculum, but then it was taken out. And so it became, again, just a secular interpretation. So we should acknowledge Western civilization and the influence of Judeo-Christianity. And the reality is, and even Gramsci recognised this, learning requires effort, application and hard work. My daughter, who's a primary teacher, gets very distressed about this because she has grade or year two students who, when she gives them a picture book, Uh, they'll swipe it, the hard copy, because they think it's an e-reader, it's a digital reader. And parents haven't given them ever a picture book to look at. And she actually does have to begin the year by spending a couple of weeks getting these children to learn how to sit still and how to focus on a particular thing for more than three or four minutes because most of them, and we've all seen it, have been raised with uh, iPhones, e-readers, electronic devices, and we see it every day in, at a restaurant where, or you know, in a diner, as they would say, where parents are on their phones, the kids are on a game. And so Amelia says, in fact, her job now is edutainment, And so she's dealing with a different kind of student to when I went to school. But also education, and I'll finish with this, requires humility, civility, and a willingness to postpone immediate gratification. And that's something I think sadly lacking from education at the moment. And so when we uh, finished the National Curriculum Review, we gave it to Christopher Pines, and I'm quite happy to, to say this publicly. He then... And we made a very strong recommendation that there be a greater focus on Western culture, Judeo Christianity, and a more explicit approach to teaching based on not uh, whole language or look and guess or immersion, but actually teaching in a more structured, explicit way. Uh, Minister Pine gave our report back to ACARA, which is the body responsible for the curriculum. They wrote the curriculum, and they were the body of which we were very critical. So there weren't a lot of changes, uh, surprisingly. And the question, I suppose, for me is that where to from here? But I will say that when I was at Campion uh, a couple of weeks ago, giving the, the lecture, I was deeply impressed and, and enthused by those young kids and and the lecturers and tutors because I I genuinely felt there was a beacon of hope, a beacon that will shine in the dark in terms of uh, education. At at the ACU, Australian Catholic University, we have a similar approach in a way, but uh, I would say not as strong. And my argument is that young children have a thirst, a thirst for wisdom and knowledge and truth. And, and they're like blotting paper. And if you, to use the uh, computer expression, if it's rubbish in, it's rubbish out. And so I have faith in young people. I have faith in, in teachers uh, looking at places like Campion and uh, being here today. So thank you for the invitation. That was Dr Kevin Donnelly with Education and the Culture of Freedom This presentation was part of the Christopher Dawson Centre for Cultural Studies 2017 Colloquium on the theme, Liberal Education, Restoring the Notion of Education as the Basis for Living the Good Life, which was hosted in Hobart, Australia. For more talks, interviews and shows, visit radio.org.au